Live from the Annex Wealth Management Studios at Historic Radio City, this is the Jeff Wagner Show. And now, here's WTMJ's Jeff Wagner. Though or not, a Cherry Bader sitting in for Jeff Wagner. Once again, always an honor and a delight to do so. Uh, Jeff, back on Monday. Uh, boy, we've got a lot of stuff to talk about. And uh, I get, you know... I'm old enough to remember when the challenge in being a talk radio host was, what am I going to talk about? People used to ask us, and I mean, just as an industry, would, how do you guys find two and a half, three hours, three and a half hours talk? How, how do you do that? It took a lot of work back in the Stone Age days when stuff just didn't come pouring in from every device and venue. And the challenge now is what do I limit myself to? In three hours. That's you, I, you talk to anyone who does this every day, and I don't do it every day anymore. But you talk to, to those who do. That's the challenge. How do you triage? Well, then shouldn't you just shut up and get to a topic? You know, great point. Glad you brought that up. That is exactly what I should do. Uh, let's start. This is a, an ongoing, I guess officially it's an ongoing story now. Uh, but this, I think, is a new perspective to it. So yesterday, this is really interesting. I only knew half the story yesterday. I did a very short topic on the Miller Coors Anheuser Busch beer wars. I would be shocked if you don't know at least the boilerplate of the story by this point. Anheuser Busch, starting with the Super Bowl, Budweiser, of course, Anheuser Busch, uh, attacked Miller Lite, saying they use corn syrup. Now. Where I was having fun with it yesterday, Miller is responding with an ad of its own where it makes fun of the fictional dilly-dilly world, medieval world, where the people in those ads, when cut, is yelled, they go and have a Miller. I thought, you know, the viewing public could actually benefit from this feud if it continues to be above board and they have a lot of fun and come up with creative campaigns you know, ad campaigns. Bang! Then I find out that actually Miller has sued over this. Yeah, it's like, all right, you're saying false things about us. You're deceiving the public. We don't use high fructose corn syrup. In fact, Bud and others use the same stuff, and it's used in the fermentation process, and by the time the beer is beer, there is no corn syrup of any variety in there, let alone high fructose, which some people do have health concerns about. It is used in a lot of carbonated sodas. So Miller goes to court saying, you're saying false things about us. All right, so the, here's what this tells you. This is big stuff to both of these brewers. So here's a question. Why did Bud do this? Why did Bud take this shot? Now, I'm guessing the answer is there's there's market research that they found, hey, or somewhere, someone, you know, high fructose corn syrup, a lot of people try to avoid that. I guess I didn't really think about it. I'm not one of those, but I don't drink soda. So I, I wouldn't I wouldn't know to avoid it. 
and I don't know where else you would find it, and I don't know the difference between the corn syrup uh, that's used. I, I, I'm a, I was a home brewer for years. I, I never heard of such a thing to, to augment fermentation that none of the recipes I ever had did that. But apparently, what Miller claims is Bud actually does this. Let's see. Let's do this this way. I'll give you two minutes to ruminate on this. There are two reasons the beer war, forget about, forget about corn syrup. The beer wars between Miller and Bud are escalating. I think there are two very specific reasons why. And if you're a beer drinker, or here's a hint, a former beer drinker, you may know one or both of the answers. 414-799-1620, the Acunet Mortgage Talk and Text Line. 414-799-1620, what's driving this beer war? And it's not corn syrup. 1214 News Radio WTMJ. 1216, Jerry in for Jeff on this Friday. So the beer wars have gone from cold to hot. DEFCON 2-ish, or maybe do we say DRAFTCON when it's in beer wars? You know, D-R-A-U-G-H-T. DRAFTCON 2 over corn syrup. Lawsuit filed now. Expensive ad campaigns over this corn syrup stuff. Bud Light saying that Miller uses corn syrup. They're saying that's deceptive. It's not the corn syrup people are thinking of, and Bud does it anyway, back and forth. But my question to you is this. I think there are two things driving this beer war, that, that suddenly this acceleration of it, that have nothing to do with corn syrup. By the way, I'm not, I'm not saying there are just two right answers. I have two in mind. You may be able to dazzle me with your brilliance and have another explanation. But let me give you another hint. If you are a male beer drinker between the ages of 18 and 45, well, 21 and 45, I was using a demo, sorry, blew up, 21 to 45, you're not supposed to be an 18-year-old beer drinker, but I was looking at the demo, 18 to 45. So 21 to 45, I would particularly like to hear from you. That's a hint. 414-799-1620, the Acunet Mortgage Talk and Text Line. To long-time Jerry Bader Show friend, Tim in Lublin. Happy Friday, my friend. Happy Friday to you, my friend. Good as a talk you get two days in a row. Um, well, what's driving it, I think, is something from your old days uh, up here on the air in Green Bay, Wausau, in this market, what you used to talk about frequently that you did. Uh, so I could say you're responsible, specifically your home brewing. When you would talk about doing the, the triple hops, the Belgian specials, all the other different beers that you would make at home. And in doing that, you had control over what you had for ingredients, what you could put in for to give it a certain flavor, certain color, amount of yeast. I think that craft brewing industry that you've done as a hobby is, got, is starting to uh, tap into their kegs, so to speak, starting to drain a little bit of their profits. And so rather than do the expense of trying to make something their own that would be qualified as a large-scale craft beer they're going to it's easier to pick on the other guy and say that ours is purer than yours is so if you don't want to brew it at home uh buy our stuff instead okay so let me let me walk through this uh the home brewing uh i don't want to say fad but it kind of was a trend of the early 2000s led to a prosperous craft brew industry and the competition 
from the craft brew industry has the two big guys going at each other's throat. Is that is that what I'm hearing from you? Uh, exactly, exactly, and and uh, they're and they're trying to find a way to squeeze as much money out of what they're still making now, rather than go through the expense of trying to develop a better product that craft brewers would find more convenient to, you know, buy at the store, drink rather than make them make it home. This is why I always appreciated you calling my show, Tim, because that is absolutely, in my opinion, one of that's one of the two things I have in mind. Tim, thanks a lot. Great hearing from you again. Have a great weekend. That is definitely one of my two drivers here is the craft beer industry. And understand, this is such a threat. The big guys are actually buying up some of the bigger craft brewers. If you can't beat them, buy them. Now, the latest numbers from 2017 is the craft beer industry had about 13% of the total beer market. My personal opinion is it's higher than that. So what you have is the big guy pie, the big brewer's pie, is a shrinking pie. That those who have what are, are considered the traditional big brewery beers in America... They're fighting for a smaller, smaller pie because of the craft brew industry. And here's the thing. As they buy up the big craft brews, more and more smaller breweries, now these brew, brew house and pubs, you go for the unique food as much as the unique brew. It's really back to the future. It's uh, the way it used to be. It's actually very European in that regard. I think that is a big part of why the two big guys are going at it right now. To Joe in Heartland, Joe has an interesting theory. Joe, you're on WTMJ. Hey, how you doing? Good. Good. Well, actually, I believe that it uh, goes hand-in-hand with that in terms of driving market share, driving awareness back to the big guys, back to the uh, domestic uh, brew, staying away from the microbreweries. It's free advertising. You know, it's uh, there's awareness now. Everybody's talking about it. It's out there. It's got to drive sales. Gosh, Joe, you're not suggesting controversy sells, are you? Oh, geez, I would never suggest something like that. <laughs> <laughs> well, that is, you know, I think you're. I absolutely think you're onto something there. I think certainly when Bud did this, they certainly the the their advertising gurus certainly had to know that this was going to ruffle the feathers of Miller. And and you know what? To be candid, I wouldn't be surprised if Bud isn't surprised or even disappointed in the lawsuit. Because, quite frankly, it plays right into your narrative that, hey, what is every talk show host virtually in America talking about? Or who are they talking about? Bud and Miller, thanks a lot for the call, Joe. I, I think there is certainly some truth to that. There's some, there, There's something else, though. Uh, let's give this one more shot and see if any, there, there's another biggie here. Again, if you're a man in your early 20s up to about 45 years old, and, and you like to have an occasional drink in an establishment, I wonder if you might know what else is driving this. 414-799-1620, the Accident Mortgage Talk and Text Line, 414-799-1620-1223, News Radio, WTMJ. Jerry Bader in for Jeff Wagner. 
So the, the beer wars have heated up substantially. Bud took its shot at Miller with an ad campaign that started with the Super Bowl, saying they use corn syrup in brewing. They do. Miller says, yeah, so does Bud and others. It's not high fructose corn syrup that raises health alarms. And what is there gets it processed out before the beer is beer. But my question to you is, why, why do they feel they need to escalate things right now? And Tim called and said, craft beer competition, I think that's absolutely true. I think there's another significant reason that, uh, quite frankly, the big brewers feel threatened. Ken in Fond du Lac. Ken, what do you think it is? Hi, I, I actually believe it's the uh, hard liquor sales are up compared to beer sales. Uh, the population is maturing and they're drinking more mixers instead of beer. Specifically, okay, one, you're right. But specifically, when you say hard liquor, what specific variety do you think? Uh, I would call it a whiskey drinker. You, boy, you are having a good Friday, Ken. (laughs) Bourbon, whiskey, bourbon, it is. And millennial men, which is why I asked for that demo, uh, it's actually, believe it or not, it's the younger guys. Now, 2018, and I Googled this again, uh, 2018, this was the big story that millennial men uh, were jumping onto the bourbon craze. And, and as you may have noticed in advertising, Ken, there are a gazillion high-quality bourbons out there now. Right. And, I mean, and that, yeah. I, and used to, I, used to say, I used to tell my kids, well, beer is for kids. And they go, we don't drink beer. We drink, we're drinking uh, uh, Crown Royal and Mountain Dew or whatever. <laughs> yeah. Well, right. You're right. Hard liquor in general, that is true, Ken. Thanks a lot for the call. But specifically, and I don't know if that has transferred into 2019. As I Googled this, I wasn't able to see any specific data for 2019. But I can tell you, 2018 was the year of bourbon. And just think, if you football games and so on, just about every commercial set, or stop set as we call them in the industry, included a bourbon that you very likely until that ad had never heard of. And there are just so many high-quality bourbons out there right now. And the younger audiences have really gotten into that. That has So here's what's happened. I mentioned earlier that um, the beer pie, if you will, has gotten smaller because of craft brew. That's true. But even craft sales have, you know, after they were soaring for years because they were biting into the big guys, right? Here's what's happened now, though, is all beer sales are down a bit, or at least, again, they were in 2018. I cannot speak to 2019, which is why Miller has responded in the fashion that they have. You could argue it's taken them a while, but you also want to put together a sophisticated ad campaign. I mean, this was launched the first Sunday in February, so it's not quite as long as it seems when you talk about coming up with an ad campaign concept, multiple ads, producing them and all of that. This is about when you would expect a commercial response. It's interesting that they coincided that, though, with the lawsuit. But that's what's driving this is you've got you've got two guys fighting over a smaller pot. 
the two big guys. And I'm sure that's why Bud came up with this tactic. And I'm sure that's why Miller is responding the way they are. And yeah, they are, as an earlier caller said, both getting attention. All right, we're going to swing in a completely different direction. We are leaving the beer and bourbon behind and moving on to something else after the news. Jerry Bader in for Jeff, 1235. So we were talking about what's driving the beer wars escalation. A few texts here before I get on to a different topic. Uh, Mike and Fond du Lac. Hi, Jerry. I think the whole controversy thing about high fructose syrup is to get the young drinkers thinking about a healthy beer. There's a huge focus on health and being in shape, and I think the brewers are trying to go after that generation. Not that there is a healthy beer, but perception is reality. Uh, uh, yeah, I, I certainly I, I think... There is truth to that, but as they scramble, they are they are dealing with more and more beers and the bourbon competition, and they're just wrestling for a smaller pie. Uh, Linda in Wauwatosa, college kids are drinking vodka, not beer. That may be the case. Uh, then, in the 262, I don't think the big breweries are worried about the little ones, because if they were, they would just buy them out. They are. They, in fact, are. They're buying out... Okay, follow this. They are buying out the larger small craft brewers. In other words, even among the craft brew industry, there is large, medium, and small, right? When you take the the ones that have the highest production and the biggest market share among craft brewers, a number of those have been bought out by the big guys. And what that's done is led to a proliferation of even smaller ones. You can't buy them all out. Think of craft breweries as ants that the big guys are trying to kill at a picnic. You can knock over some of the big ant hills, but the ants persist. And I, it will be interesting to see how this plays out. Speaking about how things play out, so... I live in the Green Bay area, but that, of course, isn't entirely relevant to the story, other than the prices are a little different than in the Milwaukee area. But gas prices everywhere have been rising. And in the, I mentioned the Green Bay area because uh, there was a point where it went from 230-ish to 250-ish rather quickly. And my wife, as I were in the car, you know, you know what this is like, right? We're in the car, we're driving, and... We go past a gas station and it's two fifty four or whatever. Yeah, how come gas is going up so high? Well, there are multitude factors, and quite honestly, I hadn't researched specifically what was into this price hike. But if you're like my wife and you've been wondering, here is largely the answer. This is from Fox Business, but uh, you could find this just about anywhere. So as of today, the national price is two sixty one a gallon. That's up from 238 a month ago and up around 35 cents since January. So you can see that's a pretty good hike. On the average is up 23 cents from a month ago, 35 cents since January. I don't have a lot of rules in life. I'm not like Jeff Wagner where I've got this this Bader rule of life and so on. I do have at least one rule though. And that is this. Virtually nothing happens for one reason. I mean, there are just 
very few things that only have one factor involved in them occurring. Rising gas prices, no different. And there are a number, as I said, a number of reasons. Most refineries trying to avoid maintenance uh, this autumn, as profits will likely be higher later this year. Uh, that means more refineries are doing maintenance this spring. So that crimps supply just a little bit. And then that happens as seasonal factors start impacting gas prices. EPA-mandated specifications, and we are not quite there yet, but we are reaching that pre-Memorial Day stretch where gas prices historically rise. Now, what about the price of crude? It's a factor. It's really not all that much of a factor. Fox Business News describes it as a small impact at $60 a barrel, which is about where it is right now. I would... I would say that's about right, that it's a a small impact. OPEC cutting production, trying to lift prices, because OPEC simply is not the force that it once was in determining crude oil prices. And then, of course, there's the whole crisis in Venezuela. And then they point out something which I hadn't considered. I hadn't even considered factoring this in. Uh, the massive flooding seen in our part of the country, the Midwest, and it's a huge swath, upper Midwest, lower Midwest, plain states, I mean, flooding has impacted a huge swath of the country. Midwest flooding may be playing a small role in prices on the coastal regions. Trains loaded with ethanol that's blended into much of the nation's gasoline can't get to the floodwater regions, according to this story. So here's what they're figuring, that this is uh, the expert that Fox Business spoke with. They're guesstimating, look for gas to rise, uh, maybe another 30 cents a gallon before peaking, they say peaking in April or May. It, well, it doesn't historically peak in April. It historically peaks, uh, like I said, as you're approaching Memorial Day, the start of the summer travel season. They're saying the national average, and I've stopped predicting these things a long time ago, they're saying the national average probably peaking out at about 3 bucks a gallon. Then, after that peak, they anticipate, uh, their prediction is two fifty, two seventy a gallon for the summer months, which wouldn't be bad. That would be that would be pretty decent. Now, this is interesting. There are several states that are already well over three dollars a gallon. California's average three forty three a gallon as of today. Hawaii three thirty nine. Washington State three oh two. Why California would be averaging more for a gallon of gas than Hawaii, I don't know. I'm saying I don't know. I'm not, saying there aren't, I'm not saying there aren't logical reasons. I'm saying I don't know what they are. Uh, so in that regard, I guess we're rather lucky because we are, on average, some 80-ish cents below that. So at least according to Fox Business News, most of this makes sense to me. The one that I really didn't consider is the the flooding and the impact 
that it might be having. Much to come. Jerry Bader sitting in for Jeff Wagner. Go nowhere, please. 1242 News Radio WTMJ. Jerry Bader in for Jeff Wagner. 1246. Don't know about you, but it is a lovely spring day out my window. Hope it's just a lovely day and whatever is going on in your life. All right, a couple of emails. Uh, I'm sorry, texts. A couple of texts before uh, we move on to something else. On the rising gas prices, Dr. Jim in the 262 says it's simple because they can. Okay. And uh, George says the rising gas prices, good for my energy stocks and my 401k. Okay, actually, I wouldn't say this is a dirty little secret. That would be overstating it. But a lot of people don't understand there is a sweet spot with crude oil prices, where if prices get too low, it hurts the energy sector, and the energy sector can be a huge boost or drag, not can be, is. The energy sector has a huge influence on how the economy as a whole is operating or its health. But if oil prices are too high, gasoline and other energy prices get too high, and that hurts the economy, If oil prices get too low, then that puts pressure on the energy sector which produces the oil. And that can put a damper on the economy. This is not unlike inflation. A lot of people don't realize this. There is a desired amount of inflation. Do you know what it is? It's about 2%, 2, maybe 2.5%. In the economist's dream world, if you could chug along with about 2.5% inflation, that's exactly, not exactly, but 2 2.5%. That is the range in which you would expect healthy economic growth. A lot of people don't understand that deflation, lowering price, you know, prices falling, is bad. You had deflation during the Great Depression. And runaway inflation, of course, equally bad. There's a sweet spot, the same kind of sweet spot for oil prices. This may have changed. The most recent sweet spot I heard where uh, economists, those who watch the energy sector, $80 a barrel for crude. That may have changed. That might be down a tick given that uh, fracking is more economically feasible than it used to be right now. Crude's at about 60 a barrel. My guess is they would still, those who watch these things, would like to see it a little higher than that. All right, I want to get to a couple of other things before 1 o'clock. This one I'm going to dispatch with rather quickly. Another Another day, another interview where President Trump gets agitated over John McCain. He grew angry during an interview with Fox Business anchor Maria Bartiromo on Friday. It was pre-recorded. It was aired on Friday. as she repeatedly pressed him over his renewed attacks on John McCain. She asked Trump why he's reviving his feud with the Republican senator. And this is how interesting it got. This is Fox News, right? This is Fox Business. He called her fake news because she was asking him about it again. Well, you keep asking. The media keeps asking. It's not my fault. The media keeps asking. 
And then he suggested that he was told she wouldn't ask about that. She later said no preconditions were put on the interview, that that whatever the president was referring to, he had no reason to believe she wouldn't ask about it. That was not promised. Okay. So, he calls her fake news. And look, I, I don't want to talk about this. You keep asking me. Okay, I will say this. The media now is perpetuating it. However, for the president to suggest that he didn't start this is not defensible. Of course he did. And that he didn't ratchet it up. Of course he did. But I actually, to a small degree, do get his point on this. She's not going to be the first where he suddenly has a change of heart and apologizes. When asked about it, he will keep piling on and keep piling on. But this is not a media-contrived controversy as he's trying to make it sound. He did this all by himself. One more thing I would say about this. Yesterday, I called out Republicans in the congressional delegation to speak out against this. Because I was tight on time, I didn't mention Ron Johnson, the senator, and Glenn Grothman, 6th District Congressman. I do think this has been egregious enough where decency calls for them to say something, but I don't expect that to happen. One other little slice to get to before 1 o'clock. We'll do that in two minutes. 1251 News Radio WTMJ. 1254, Jerry Bader and Jeff Wagner. All right, so I didn't plan on talking this. I'm going to get two things in in this very short segment because, all right, so uh, I am looking at, I'm going to refresh this. So I have the very latest where the Dow Jones Industrial Average is right now. It's off 381.75. Jordan, the Dow's down 38175. I just got a text alert that my wife and I, our retirement accounts are an all-time high. How can that happen? <laughs> well, I really shouldn't be stupid enough to ask questions about it, should I? Just, you know, just go with the ride, Jerry. Go with the ride. Uh, <laughs> so, yeah, your account, dot, 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 has a new high current value of dot, 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 and then my wife. Your account, dot, dot, dot. Wow, this is nuts. This almost can't be real. But I'll take it. However, the reality is the Dow Jones Industrial Average is down 381.75 as we speak. Then there is this. GOP legislators seek to block judges' order, put lame duck laws limiting Evers' powers back in place. So you likely heard the news yesterday. Dane County Judge Richard... Nice uh, struck down the lame duck laws and 82 appointments that were made by Republican Governor Scott Walker. He found Republican legislators had improperly convened their overnight session in December. So what happened is Evers and Democratic Attorney General Josh Call immediately uh, took their newfound authority to move to get out of uh, the federal lawsuit over the Affordable Care Act getting the state out of it. So Republicans want an appeals judge to block the block, if that makes sense. In other words, to say, no, you, you've got to stay that order. You can't just stop this. This is going to cause chaos. It involves actually a lot of laws going back X number of years, and you just have to stop this. It's, it's 
Corey, be fa- I haven't seen the latest that there's anything new on that at this point as to uh, whether that's been honored. But this is going to be, this is big. This is a big, big fight. Now, I don't know what's going to happen with the stays. My belief was, and I haven't heard anything yet to this effect, that they, would, they Republicans, would ask the state Supreme Court directly to take up the larger appeal issue, not, not the stay order but the larger appeal issue. I I want to just set this up. Coming up after 1 o'clock, I want to take up a topic that... How can I explain this? So in the Milwaukee area, the I would argue, and there are others in the media that may disagree, but in the Milwaukee area, probably still the most dominant news media outlet is the Milwaukee Journal Sentinel. I just think that's probably true. There are formidable news outlets, including the one upon which I speak, WTMJ, the television stations, and so on. But then if you take that a step further, Gannett, which, when was that? A couple of years ago, whenever they acquired the Journal Sentinel. Gannett owns most, not all, but most of the daily newspapers in Wisconsin. Green Bay Press-Gazette, Appleton Post-Crescent, Fond du Lac Reporter, Manitowoc Herald-Times Reporter, Sheboygan Press, Wausau Daily Herald, and I left some out. Marshfield, Wisconsin Rapids, Stevens Point. I think with that second swap, I caught most of them. And their product has become somewhat homogenous. And especially in those smaller communities I just mentioned, it doesn't really impact Milwaukee as much. Has local news coverage suffered, perhaps because it is leading to an a, seem, a seeming resurgence in the small-town paper? And we're going to talk with someone, not small-town, but local paper, who publishes one of those at 108. I think this is a very, very important topic for any number of reasons, so I encourage you to listen to what a publisher of one of those papers has to say, after the 1 o'clock news. 12.59, News Radio WTMJ. Live from the Annex Wealth Management Studios at Historic Radio City, this is the Jeff Wagner Show. What's Wagner's rule of life number four? <laughs> Nothing good happens outside a strip club at 2 o'clock in the morning. I'm sorry, I understand I might be like a dog with a bone on this, but this is just fundamentally wrong. It is an insult, but let's tee this up. The Accurate Mortgage Talk and Text Line is open now. Give Jeff a call at 414-799-1620. I'm sorry, I think this is absolutely ridiculous. And now, WTMJ's Jeff Wagner. Actually, that is the most you will hear of Jeff Wagner for the rest of the show, at least this this hour. Uh, Jerry Bader in for Jeff Wagner. Glad you were along. All right, let's set this up. I think not only is this an interesting topic, I think it's a very important one. And it's weird how I stumbled on this. What I'm about to read from is actually, you got to follow, this is, you know the thing holding a, two mirrors up and what it looks like when you do that, a mirror against a mirror? This is kind of a media version of that. So pay close attention to this. I read from you a story from WFRV Channel 5 in Green Bay. We are Green Bay is their brand. And they have a story about the Press Times. What is the Press Times? I would call it a suburban Green Bay newspaper. You're wondering, why would you talk about this on WTMJ? Well, 
You just keep listening, and all will be revealed. The Press Times is a suburban Green Bay newspaper. Covers Ashwabanon, Howard, Swamico, Hobart. Recently, the Press Times also started, actually March 1st, covering Green Bay, city of. Okay, why would that be news? Well, because, of course... One of the larger Gannett newspapers in Wisconsin, the Green Bay Press Gazette, covers Green Bay. But here's a reality, and I want to tell you what this segment is not. This segment is not a Gannett bashing segment. That said, though, there is a reality that comes with the media industry that operates on economies of scale. And if you look at the Gannett websites on most days, the Journal Sentinel... The Green Bay Press Gazette, Appleton Post Crescent, that's their three biggest papers right there. But then all the other ones, there's, there's a lot of homogeneity in terms of the content on those websites. Now, back in my Media Trackers days, which came to an end on February 1st-ish, one of the last stories that Samantha Moratek and I did at Media Trackers was point out how the m- local media aren't covering a lot of local governmental meetings anymore. And the one getting the shortest shrift was school boards. We picked four markets, uh, Green Bay, Appleton, Oshkosh, and Wausau. And the reality is the watchdogs aren't watching local government all that well. But the reality is local coverage, intensive local coverage has has lapsed. An example that I can give, I broke a story in 2017 of a teacher stating horrific conditions at a Green Bay middle school. The mainstream media didn't get onto that until I talked about it on the radio. She said this at a school board meeting, but nobody was there. Someone sent me the video. So this has led to what would seem a new old trend, the local paper. Again, I don't want Gannett to take umbrage that I'm not calling their papers local papers. And by the way, Gannett as a company has done some excellent reporting in Wisconsin, make no mistake about that, some good investigative stuff. But the meat and potato stuff in each individual community they serve there appears to be an opening for what Channel 5 called hyper-local news in sports. There was a day we just called that local news. Joining us now to talk more about this is the publisher of one of these publications, the Ashkosh Herald. She's Karen Schneider, and she joins us now. Karen, great to talk with you again. Hi, Jerry. Thanks for having me. Okay, before we get down to business, I have to make a confession. I was, As the kids would say, I was creeping on you online. And I did not know that you were a member of the Journalism Advisory Board at UW Oshkosh Department of Journalism. Is that still the case? It is, yes. Here's why, here's why I mentioned it. So if you dig deep into the bowels of the archives of the Advanced Titan, you will actually find a couple of my bylines. Please don't read them. Please don't, <laughs> don't do that. So <laughs> uh, look now. <laughs> No, you really don't. Actually, that's just let's just leave a very dead dog lie. Okay, uh, all right. So, let's start with the basics. 
what is the Oshkosh Herald, and why did you co-found it? What what market need did you see? Well, the Oshkosh Herald is a weekly newspaper that only covers Oshkosh news. So we only cover Oshkosh sports, Oshkosh business, Oshkosh government. If it happens outside of Oshkosh, you can run an ad, but it doesn't get uh, newsprint in our newspaper because what we identified was a void of that local news, and people were looking for it. You know, what is going on in this neighborhood? What's going on over there? So, um, if you if you if you stalked me, you also saw that I used to work for Gannett here in the Oshkosh and in the Fond du Lac market. And even before we parted ways, I it was very evident that we were becoming more of a regional newspaper, a regional news source. And there were less resources being put into each individual city. So um, listening to to folks back then, it took a little bit of of time to, to, you know, come to the realization that we need that local news. People need to know what's going on in their community because when they don't know what's going on in their community, that's where a lot of things go wrong. Um, that aren't apparent, people aren't aware of them. Uh, one of the, the things that went on here in, in Oshkosh, of course, is we built, we have part of Lakeshore Golf Course that went to build the new Oshkosh Corp headquarters. And there were um, headlines that were letters to the editor and opinion pieces being put out on social media with just the headlines, so people are tend to just skim that and, you know, it was on the Internet, it's got to be true. So there was this divide that was being created, in my opinion, in Oshkosh about the fors and against this project. And that was when it was like, okay, we have got to do something about this. And so my husband and I um, sat down, we did our plan, and the, the smart businesswoman I am, we launched in January of 2018, after everyone set their budgets for the year, but what we <laughs> what we did because you know our our plan was to be advertising supported, um, and we're direct mailed, so we bulk mail to twenty eight thousand six hundred homes right now in the Oshkosh area school district. That's a lot of postage, but you know it's also we want people to know what's going on in their uh, in their city, so we want to deliver that news of. This is what's going on in the city of Oshkosh, your parks department, uh, you know, the ADRC in Oshkosh Sports and UWO. And if you look at us online at OshkoshHerald.com this week, you will definitely see our pride in our, in our basketball teams. For, uh, UWO, of course, brought home the, the championship for D3, and the Lourdes team brought home the silver ball um, for boys basketball for state. So, you know, we're... We're covering what people want to read, and we're covering what people need to know. And there was that that void um, in communities, and it was it was interesting because when I started soliciting for advertising support when I first, you know, back in January of last year, I had a local company tell me that they had branches in several markets. And I was the fourth one within six months that had contacted them because community newspapers are actually growing because we are filling that void. 
Uh, hey, Karen, Karen, uh, uh-huh. Karen, if I can just, just stop there, can you hang on one more segment? Sure. Okay, because that's where I want to pick up in a couple of minutes is filling that void and what people need to know. I think you touched on two huge things, and I want to double back on those in two minutes. 118 News Radio WTMJ. 120, Jerry Bader in for Jeff Wagner. We're talking about the, the rise of uh, a phrase out there is hyper-local news outlets. I would just say local news. And we're talking with Karen Schneider, publisher of the Oshkosh Herald. And a couple of minutes ago, Karen, you were talking, and it is a growing segment. You, you are seeing a proliferation of these media outlets such as yours. You know that I have a friend, Warren Bloom, has one in the Kiwani-Algoma area. Uh, the press expanding to cover the city of Green Bay proper. When you say there's a market hole local news, can you specify what things did the mainstream media newspapers used to cover that, that people need to know that they're not hearing anymore and why yours and other outlets are growing? Well, part of it is you had touched on it, you know, um, city council meetings, different um, committees that, have things going on and are making decisions about things for the city before it gets to the Common Council. So being able to, you know, give some awareness to what is happening before it gets to the Common Council, because a lot of times by the time something gets to the Common Council, it's almost a done deal. So this gives the community a voice. And one of the examples I can use here is there's a um, development that's going on out in the town of Algoma. And the developers actually came to us and told us about it. We wrote a story. It, it, it raised the awareness of what this development was going to be, how many new residents you know, were plant- that this development would bring in, raised awareness of stormwater issues and so forth, that these conversations could go on before it got to the county board. So uh, it, it enabled the developers to, to listen and hear what the concerns were of the community that they would be impacting and go back to the drawing table and, and create, um, you know, listen and, and create differences that were more palatable to the, the, to the people and it fit in better with the town of Algoma. Um, you know, so by being able to cover these committees and different things that are happening, the other thing is it's really kind of ABCs of, you know, there's a really big difference of seeing your, your child's picture in the paper and being able to, to cut it out and, and scrapbook that and hitting print because it appeared on a website somewhere. So a lot we, of it uh, is that emotional attachment as well. Um, we, it's interesting. If I can, can care, we just had an interesting text from a listener. This is actually brilliant. It, earlier in the show, I was talking about how craft beer is threatening the big brewers, right? Mm-hmm. And this text, this texture writes, interesting, craft beers are filling a void big beer companies can't. Weekly papers are covering news big papers won't. You could almost use that on your, your masthead. <laughs> I, I mean, that's, that's really what we're talking about, isn't it, though? Because the, the direction, and again, I, it's not bashing. I'm just talking about business realities here. They have made a business decision that you can make the case doesn't serve uh, civic-minded people very well, people that want to know what's going on in their community. So what kind of feedback have you gotten? It's like, thank goodness you're out there. Are you getting more tips as people get to know you're out there and so on? 
Oh, yes, we did. I mean, the, the feedback that we received from the community is, is wonderful. I mean, it's very positive. They appreciate, you know, getting the newspaper on a weekly basis. We actually just launched a membership program that, uh, you know, because there, there's a state law that says in order to compete to be a newspaper of record, you have to have 50% bona fide paid circulation. So we've launched a um, membership program to try to get to that 50% because, you know, it wasn't too long ago there's information that says 80% of newspaper readers read about the, you know, the legals and public notices in their daily newspaper. Mm. But as that circulation has fallen off, so has that knowledge. And those public notices are about informing the public. So, you know, it's a really aggressive goal from our end. But we also believe that if we're reaching the people and we're giving them that information, we're doing a service for our community, and that's why that's why we exist in the first place. Is our goal is to have a more informed community, um, and you know, so and that that's just one of the things that goes along with that. But we have a, a line submit at oshkoshherald.com that people will send in story ideas. They'll give us a call and let us know about different things that are going on that they'd like to have covered. Uh, But we also, you know, we're about the good stuff that's going on in the community as well because we can cover the news and we can cover the city council, but people need to see, you know, what their their neighbors are doing and and accomplishing or, you know, this check was donated to so you know, like the uh, the Battle on Bagel just made with the Otter Street Fishing Club just made a donation for a uh, ice rescue craft, which was used down in Fond du Lac for these for the floods that rescued 16 people. They didn't even have it for like a week, you know. But letting people right, care- know about the impact. Mm-hmm. Okay, I'm going to have to let you go there. We're just about out of time, but I really appreciate I'm going to uh, continue this conversation in the next half hour a little bit. But thanks so much, because I think this is a very important topic and, and something, an interesting development in the media to watch. Thanks a lot for what you're doing, and thanks for joining us. Thanks, Jerry. You have a great day. Hey, you too. 126 News Radio WTMJ. Jerry in for Jeff 129. I want to spend a few more minutes just uh, making some observations about what Karen Schneider of the Oshkosh Herald. And it's not just an online product. In fact, it's not even predominantly an online product. They direct mail to some, uh, what did she say, 26,000 households in the Oshkosh School District. This is a growing trend where there is the belief and the observation that a consolidation of media has left smaller communities in particular. Look, in Milwaukee, you have, gosh, how many TV stations? Four, uh, six, 58, uh, uh, 12. You've got news outlets. You've got the Journal Sentinel. You've got this radio flamethrower. Smaller communities, this is a real issue, and it's actually, I think, harmful to local democracy. Again, that's not bashing anyone, just saying their their business decisions have left a void. I want to spend a few more minutes on that. After the very excellent news 
right here in Milwaukee from the WTMJ Breaking News Center. Here's Melissa Barkley. Well, thank you, Jerry. One person is dead after a stolen car crashed into an Uber vehicle in Milwaukee. Now, that collision happened about 1.30 this morning on the city's south side. The Uber passenger who died was 24, year old, 24 years old. She was a woman. Uh, the Uber driver and another passenger suffered minor injuries, as did two teenagers in the stolen car. The teens were arrested. No serious injuries after a freight train hits a semi-truck in Oconomowoc. The truck was hit after getting stuck near 2nd and Main. President Trump's disparaging an upcoming report by special counsel Robert Mueller. Trump says uh, in an interview that people will not stand for it if the report is seen as a determination on my presidency, end quote. Uh, Mueller is expected to deliver his report soon into Russian meddling in the 2016 election and possible collusion with the Trump campaign. Time now for a WTMJ Drake & Associates market update. The Dow is down today, 303 points at 25,000. 658. NASDAQ is down 146 at 76.92, and the S&P 500 is down 37 points at 28.18. WTMJ Pella, WI.com, time saver traffic. 43 southbound Brown Deer Road to downtown. You're seeing some delays on there. That's due to an incident along the roadway. You're looking at four extra minutes right now. 14 total, but that has been fluctuating over the last half hour or so. Otherwise, 94 outbound from Marquette Interchange to the zoo, just seven minutes there. No delays. Zoo to Highway 16 at 10. 41, 45 southbound. Highway Q to the zoo interchange, you're looking good at 15. And 94 southbound from Marquette to Layton Avenue, just eight minutes. WTMJ five-day forecast for today. Lots of sunshine. Enjoy it. But when you step outside, it's a little cool out there, a little windy, a high 42 for tonight, mostly clear and colder, low 26. Tomorrow's going to be a beautiful day, mostly sunny, mild, high 52 for Sunday, mostly cloudy, might see some rain in the afternoon, a high 46 for Monday, chance for some rain, maybe some snow early on, then partly cloudy the rest of the day, a high 38. And for Tuesday, mostly sunny, a high 40. Right now in Caledonia, it is 39 in Germantown, 43 and in Milwaukee, we're at 36. Degrees. I'm Melissa Barclay, News Radio, WTMJ. In just a couple of minutes, when the watchdogs stop watching, and hey, hey, it's really going to start feeling like the 21st century. 132, News Radio, WTMJ. Except for the part where you're listening to Jerry Bader in for Jeff Wagner, and it is an honor to do so. So I want to finish up on the local news topic. If you are just joining us, Karen Schneider of the Oshkosh Herald. Uh, which is a publication she co-founded with her husband. They rolled out uh, beginning of the year 2018. The goal is to fill what she and others, quite frankly, see as a void in local media coverage, particularly in smaller communities. Milwaukee is a significant media market, so it's really hard to relate. I grew up in Marinette County. I mean, our local paper, now there's the Marinette uh, Eagle Star, which is the Marinette Eagle Herald these days. It's a daily newspaper out of Marinette, but we didn't get that. We got the Peshtigo Times. Weekly newspaper published on Wednesdays. We got it in the mail on Thursdays. That was our window to the local world. I was raised in Coleman. They covered Coleman School Board, Coleman Village Board. That's what local media used to do. And it's interesting, the phrase hyper-local has come up. All media used to be hyper-local. Again, there's a media saturation. 
radio, newspaper, television in larger cities, namely Milwaukee and Wisconsin, Madison as well. Green Bay semi-qualifies for that. Not quite, but you've got four TV stations with news operations up there. You've got a paper. You've got a radio station that does local news. But you get then into the Appleton, Oshkosh, Fond du Lac, uh, Wausau. Wausau does have TV. But a lot of the smaller cities, it is maybe a local radio station with news, but mostly the newspaper. And in a lot of the communities I just enumerated, local newspapers owned by Gannett, and I'm going to say one more time, this is not intended to bash or criticize them, but simply to say that their market realities and their economies of scale and their business decisions have resulted in much less intensive coverage, particularly of local government, than they used to provide. I did a story on this a couple of months ago where it was not really a... It was not a deep investigative piece, but more a casual observation. We called a few school boards, county boards, and city councils in the type of communities that I just mentioned. And no, we don't see the media. They don't cover us anymore. And here's the reality. What a lot of them said is they they archive their meetings on video, but apparently no one in newspaper newsroom goes back and watches those, or not very often. One of the uh, stories that we found when we were researching our story was that this absence of the watchdog watching local media, particularly in smaller towns and cities, government's more expensive. Local officials know when they're not being watched. I, I broke a story a couple of years ago in a small Wisconsin village, which actually did have a local reporter covering it. But it just, for the most part, the smaller the municipality, the smaller the town, uh, even if it does have a daily newspaper owned by a single company, there just isn't the coverage that there used to be. So I just, I think it's a, a vitally important issue. I, I just, I really do. And I think it's here's what's going to be really interesting to see. Do these, they're being called hyper-local, again, I would just say local, do these local outlets, online and, and print publication, do they flourish? Is there the market niche that they believe is there? I'm not saying they're going to be necessarily the dominant media outlet in those markets in which they form, but I think they're going to be important. I think they're going to contribute to the public discourse. You know, there's the age-old question. I remember I was a brand-new news reporter in the early 1980s, and I was on a panel, and someone asked me, and I was, a, quite frankly, a naive 23-year-old kid, and I didn't have an answer, 24. And I was asked, do you write news that people want or that they need? Isn't that an interesting question? Because it was right about that time when that was a hotly debated question. 
USA Today came out in 1982, I think. I will not swear to that, but I think it was 82. That was a paper that was built, designed around market research. It was really the, really the first one. And as such, that led to a trend. Anyway, very, very important to watch. 141 News Radio WTMJ. 144, Jerry in for Jeff. Hey, I want to make you aware of something that we're going to have some fun. It's Friday, right? So, 235-ish. We are going to have fun. I, in my previous radio incarnation, I would do this from time to time. It's a shameless ripoff of an iconic TV game show. And, you know, intellectual property rights being what they're being, uh, I, I will call it Tinseltown Cubes. Okay, so in the theater of radio, we have nine celebrities in a tic-tac-toe board. You, you know what I'm ripping off, right? So what we're going to do is producer Jordan is going to be all nine celebrities. You've made it to the show, my friend. You are, you are super celebrity. Wow, I, I feel so you, special, Jerry. <laughs> you know, I'm, I have to give you props here. What an honest guy you are. So if, if you don't remember how the show works, so what Jordan's going to do, I'm going to ask a question with three multiple choices, and Jordan will give his answer, and then we'll have callers on the line, and the caller will agree or disagree. I sent him the questions, not the answers. Not that I, didn't, I have a sheet with the answers. You refused to look at them. So, so you, can, you can hold up your right hand, and you can attest... When we do this at 2.35, you do not know the questions. I swear to that. Wow. So this is going to be a lot of fun. This is, I'm really looking forward to it. And uh, uh, we did manage to find a goodie in the WTMJ prize dumpster. So uh, I've always called it that in all my years in radio. Uh, so we'll have a lot of fun with that. So just if you want to take part, or it's going to be a lot of fun to listen to, here's what I can tell you is the questions are diverse. They are somewhat current event-ish. They are somewhat historic, entertainment. And uh, the way it will work is, now you're not playing against someone else. So if you get on the air, we're looking for three in a row. If you don't get three in a row, we'll go to the next person. I have enough questions to do that three times. So what Jordan will do is get the name of everyone who plays all three if for some reason... Uh, we, we don't, someone doesn't get three in a row, then Jordan will have your information. We will pick completely at random a winner for the prize. All right, so that's how that is going to work. There is a story, I'm getting alerts all over the place. I got a CNN alert on my phone uh, that I uh, am trying to reopen here. There it is. Uh, the Washington Post just did a big bright red alert at the top of their web page. Here it is. Trump sparks confusion with tweet on North Korea-related sanctions. President Donald Trump triggered rampant confusion among his own aides and administration officials when he said Friday he is withdrawing new sanctions aimed at North Korea that were just issued by his own administration. It was announced today by the U.S. Treasury that additional large-scale sanctions would be added to those already existing sanctions on North Korea. 
I have today ordered the withdrawal of those additional sanctions Trump tweeted on Friday. It was not immediately clear which sanctions Trump was referring to. But just 24 hours earlier, the Treasury Department announced sanctions targeting two Chinese shipping companies that have allegedly helped North Korea skirt sanctions imposed by the U.N. Pressed to expand on Trump's tweet, White House Press Secretary Sarah Sanders offered only a brief statement saying, President Trump likes Chairman Kim, and he doesn't think these sanctions will be necessary. Here's the problem. Nobody knows what either she or Trump is referring to. She did not clarify which sanctions Trump was referring to. Several White House officials told CNN they were confused by Trump's tweet, and, and they were unsure what he was referring to. Trump's announcement was a startling rebuke of policy action announced by his own government, once again calling attention to the unconventional and undisciplined policy process that has often defined the Trump administration. Top administration officials had heralded the new designations targeting the Chinese shipping companies before Trump took to Twitter. Here's the thing, though. No one seems to be sure exactly what he's talking about. Washington Post, Trump administration officials could not immediately explain which uh, sanctions Trump was referring to. They, too, the Washington Post, points to, uh, I should say, points to the Treasury Department announcement of late last night against two Chinese shipping companies. Again, Sarah Sanders said Trump doesn't think the sanctions will be necessary. Nobody's entirely sure what he was referring to. I'm old enough to remember when the President of the United States went to members of administration and said, I disagree with this policy. I don't know. How does it? I don't even know how that works. How does that get done? What's going on? How, I'm just, it's... I'm as confused as everybody else, not so much by the conflict in the announcement, but how does this even happen? That his own administration announces something that he contradicts via Twitter and nobody knows what he means. And how was he not on the loop before it got done? I, I don't know. I'm just asking questions. 150 News Radio WTMJ. 153, Jerry in for Jeff. So here's a term you don't hear much anymore. The Age of Speed. Apparently it's a video game or something like that. But that is not to which I refer. The Age of Speed. The 19th and 20th centuries. Where mankind seemed just bound and determined to go faster, further, faster, or is it farther? I hate that one. Jordan, you look up things in a hurry. Which one would make better sense there, further or farther? Uh, to go a greater distance <laughs> in a shorter period of time. That was the quest in the 19th and 20th centuries. It started with the steam engine, railroad. Do you realize what a milestone it was when rail track connected the east to the west coast? Now, simultaneously, you had communication growing, the telegraph. It was a big deal when telegraph wires connected coast to coast as well. That made the country smaller, if you know what I mean, in both regards. But boy, it was speed. And then came the 20th century. 
internal combustion, automobiles, airplanes, faster, faster, higher, and then space travel. That's why most science fiction from the 60s and 70s, we were still in the age of speed. Of course, the ultimate was 24,500 miles an hour, the speed that it took to break the Earth's orbit and head to the moon. There was a headline that said when President Obama pretty much ended the government-run manned space program in America, that was the end of the age of speed. And that we have fully transitioned to the information age. No longer do we try to get to farther places faster. We try to bring the information to us. And that's, that's what, what happened. That could be flipping. And I stress could be. It is possible. Elon Musk is promising, not promising, Elon Musk is saying that it's possible that he could deliver a service in 11 years. 11 years. I mean, 2030, at first it sounded like a long time away. It's only 11 years. That could, using basically a, a, a space plane, you would bounce off the atmosphere and back in. You would briefly enter space and come back. Consider this. London to New York in 29 minutes. On the Elon Musk SpaceX Starship. 29 minutes from New York to London. Wait, there's more? Then, then you could travel from London to Sydney, Australia, in 53 minutes. So in other words, New York to Sydney, less than two hours in the air or space, as it were. Do you have any idea how this would revolutionize things? Here's what's going to be interesting about this, though. The, the last two generations, the millennials and now Gen Z or iGen, I, I don't think we've decided yet what we're calling them. Okay, they, they live vicarious lives. Again, I don't want to overgeneralize, but as a generation, they tend to live vicarious lives. The world comes to them. That's what they grew up with. Think, though. And I'm imagining that it's going to be somewhat cost prohibitive when it starts. And, and I don't know that he'll really get this off the ground, figuratively and literally, by the year 2030. But let's, let's say it's even in the next 20 years. Let's say it's 2040. You know, next 21 years. This changes everything because all technological advancements, everything... Well, for sure, go back to 1995, and we're approaching, though, really 30 years, if you go to 1990, has been moving information, more of it faster, to us. Are people ready for a paradigm shift back to the age of speed type thinking? Hey, you can get to Sydney, Australia in less than two hours. Yeah? So... Why would I want to do that? I don't know. Is that going to be the reaction or not? Live from the Annex Wealth Management Studios at Historic Radio City, this is the Jeff Wagner Show. And now, here's WTMJ's Jeff Wagner. 209, Jerry Bader in for Jeff Wagner for one more hour. So I have to give a tip of the hat to listener Dana. I stumbled badly over farther versus further. Dana explains 
Farther is a physical distance. Further elaborates on something. That is a short but generally accurate uh, explanation of further versus farther. Uh, I, I would say that Dana pretty much hit that. I looked it up. The quick and dirty tip is to use farther for physical distance. And uh, this just jumped all over the place on me. Uh, farther for physical distance, it vanished. This is just really weird. So the website, I can read no further. Um, or is it farther? Anyway, Dana had it right. Further is, uh, farther is distance, further is metaphorical. So, or a thought. So there's that. Now, back to the topic just briefly. Got an interesting text on what I was talking about. Elon Musk says that by 2030, 11 years, they could have rapid space travel where you actually briefly leave the Earth's atmosphere, travel at those kinds of speeds, and you get you could do a transatlantic flight in about a half an hour. London to Australia in less than an hour. And I asked, somewhat rhetorically, would there be a market for this? Would there be a market for this? Got an answer. Rapid space travel would not revolutionize anything unless it was affordable for the masses and scalable just the same. So in other words, if it costs $250,000 a flight, well, no. I mean, it's somehow it's going to have to be reasonably affordable. The commercial airlines that now take six, seven, eight hours, depending on where you're going across the pond, aren't going to have anything to worry about if if this is just cost prohibitive for most of the population. Kyle is absolutely right about that. But I just, I think it's exciting nonetheless, and I think, here and here's the other thing that drives the price down is competition. If several companies get into this, now the first thing is it'll generally be a new technology. It would, I don't know if I'm agreeing with the textures here. It, you know, will people feel safe doing it? From the 262, the only sector it would revolutionize is international business if the price was reasonably high and companies could send their top executives to meet in person to deal rather than over the phone. See, I don't know if I agree with that. I'll tell you what, I'm just going to briefly toss my hook in the water on this. 414-799-1620 and the Accident Mortgage Talk and Text Line. And this might depend on your age. Would you be excited about being able to fly to Europe in a half an hour because Musk says he can make this happen in just more than a decade? Or, and here's my theory on this, we have become such a bring-it-to-me society with the information age where, no, I like just where I am, and I really don't feel like traveling, even if you can do it in a half an hour, or to... Sydney, an hour from London. Do you think the consuming public, and let's just let's do it if it's mostly affordable. It's going to be more expensive than commercial 
air travel if it happens. Or is this just kind of making you yawn, and you're not going to get in a rocket and go to Australia in an hour just because you can? I think it's exciting, but then again, I was a space race kid in the 60s. 414-799-1620, the Acunet Mortgage Talk and Text Line. The volume of calls, or lack thereof, will pretty much tell us how interested people are in the possibility. 213 News Radio WTMJ. Jerry Bader in for Jeff Wagner, 216. The Acunet Mortgage Talk and Text Line, 414-799-1620. I am fascinated, but see, I'm a, I'm a child of the space age. I grew up in the 60s watching the takeoffs and splashdowns. So I'm all about the age of speed. We are now in the information age. At least a couple of companies are working on, perhaps within about a decade, almost just suborbital flight that will get you New York to London in a half an hour, London to Sydney in less than an hour. I think it's fascinating. I think it's just fascinating. But I don't know if it will sail a sell because the information age in the last, uh, going on 30 years now, but certainly 25 years, has produced a generation or two that hey, they're all about it coming to them. Let's see, from uh, the text, Concord failed. I don't see how they would get enough revenue to keep this going. Well, here's why the Concord failed. The Concorde failed for several reasons. One, it was expensive. Two, it was an extremely uncomfortable flight, from what I am told. And three, while it was faster, what was it, a couple of hours? Across the Atlantic, I don't remember how much faster it was, the supersonic transport. It failed because, and someone else, do you remember what happened to Concorde? But Concord wasn't as revolutionary. I see, sorry, disagree. Concord wasn't as revolutionary as this is. The concept of basically a space plane. I don't know. I mean, they I, I, they may be right. Uh, let's see. The prospect of this technology is extremely exciting. But to those of us that have issues with motion sickness, it may be a non-starter. I see. I don't know. I honestly don't know what, if, if the market will be there or not. But I think it's really, really an exciting concept. All right, one other thing to sneak in here, and then I'm going to explain to you what we're going to do in the next half hour. And it's going to be a lot of fun. I hope it's going to be a lot of fun. It should be a lot of fun. Washington Post had a story yesterday. New Zealand just banned military-style firearms. Here's why the U.S. can't. This story is, and I printed it out, one, two, two pages. This is two full pages from reporters Rick Nowak and Shibani Hatani of the Washington Post. New Zealand just banned military-style firearms. Here's why the U.S. can't. I could do this in three words. The Second Amendment. That is actually what they do, but they take two pages to do it. They point out how the Prime Minister in New Zealand announced last Saturday that the country's gun laws would change less than 24 hours after 
A terrorist attack killed at least 50 in Christchurch. That's the community. On Thursday, she confirmed that her government had banned military-style semi-automatic weapons and assault rifles, and a buyback program was being set up. Buyback is a little euphemistic when it's mandatory. I, I have a little bit of an issue with that. The changes were supported by both the coalition government and the center-right main opposition party. And then they point out that on the surface, New Zealand and the U.S. appear to have relatively similar approaches to guns. Both are among the only nations without universal gun registration rules, and both have strong gun lobbies that have stalled previous attempts to rein in gun owners' liberties. But in New Zealand, there's not a Second Amendment. So even when it's done by legislative fiat, they can move rather quickly. And, I mean, I suppose there could be a court challenge, but without a Second Amendment-type constitutional protection to pin that court challenge on, it's not going to go very far. So I... I would say it's pretty simple. The Second Amendment, they also talk about uh, how the courts are in each country and so on. This is the type of thing Australia did, and there's a lot of debate over exactly how successful it was. This cannot, uh, the Washington Post is right about this, this cannot happen in the United States. I I could say a lot more on this, but... Most of it has already been said in terms of hate will find a way, and hate will find a way, with or without guns. I recognize guns are a very effective way to do hateful acts. 224, Jerry in for Jeff. All right, so in the time that I have, I want to explain what we're going to do in the next half hour. We are going to uh, put producer Jordan on the air, and uh, a little bit on the spot. But it's all in good fun. All right, so this is something I used to do in my previous radio incarnation. It's a shameless ripoff of an iconic TV game show. I call it Tinseltown Cubes. You can probably figure that out. Uh, if you're old enough to remember, think Peter Marshall was the host. So here's what happens in this game. I have ten questions. I just have a spare, I guess. What is going to happen in just a few minutes... And and you'll know when, because I will give the phone number. We are looking for three contestants, and we've got a little something to give away. Not yet. Don't just call yet. Let me explain this. And, and then, Jordan, we'll start getting our three contestants. Here's how this works. Just like the old TV show, you need to get three in a row. Now, there, in that game... This won't work on the radio, so this is why we're doing it a little differently. In that game, it was a game of tic-tac-toe with celebrities in each square, right? And by correctly getting an answer from that celebrity, you get an X or an O, depending on what you were playing. We, You're not playing anyone here. So you just need three answers in a row. And the way we're going to do this is the way they did it on the TV show. I have ten multiple-choice questions here. Some are history, some are sports, uh, some are sort of current events or pop culture. And you need to get three in a row. 
if you get one wrong, then we'll go to the next contestant because you, you can't get three in a row. If you get one right, you get another question. If you get the second one wrong, we go to another contestant. If you get the second one right, you get your third question. Even if you get all three right, we're going to put all three people on the air because if we have multiples, we'll do a drawing for the prize. If uh, if nobody gets three in a row, we'll do a drawing. If two, whatever, you know what I mean. That'll all work out. So that's how we're going to do this. So what will happen is I will ask a question. And uh, uh, here I'll just let's let's do a quick test, Jordan. Okay, can you pipe yourself on the air? I'm here. All right. So here's the question: Who was the first president of the United States? A. Groucho Marx, B. Karl Marx, or C. George Washington? It's not A, right? No, C. George Washington. You would say C. George Washington, and then I would ask the caller. Harold, I don't know, Harold's a perfectly fine name. It's the first one that came to my head. Harold, do you agree or disagree with Jordan? And prayerfully, <laughs> Harold would say, yes, he agrees with Jordan, that it's George Washington. And then we would go ding, 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 and he gets another question. And that's how that will work. So if you agree with Jordan, and Jordan was right, you, you are correct. If you disagree with Jordan and Jordan was wrong, you are correct. I know it's a while since the game's been popular, so I think if we go through all of that, we should just be just fine. And that's what we'll be doing in the next half hour. So, to get us teed up now, and then Jordan doesn't have to talk to me, he can take your calls. 414-799-1620. Jordan, you can take the first three callers, you can take three, five, side, you can do whatever you want. I will allow you to decide how you want to do that, uh, but it is 414-799-1620. We do have a little prize for you if you win, but the bigger thing is it's going to be a lot of fun, and perhaps, potentially, you can show how brilliant you are. In terms of where these questions came from, I will tell you that I, I did pull them out of my head. However, I did not trust my memory. And I researched the ones where I was pretty sure I knew the answer. And I actually don't think I had to correct myself on any of them. 414-799-1620 on the Acunet Mortgage talk and text line. And I am leaving this entirely up to Jordan. Uh, it might be the first three in. It might be 157. I, that's... Jordan has the power there. And then after uh, Melissa's news, we will uh, get the three callers on the air. We'll get Jordan on the air, and hopefully we'll have a lot of fun with this. 414-799-1620. After all, it's Friday, and if you can't have a little fun on Friday, you know, it just can't, it can't be all pressing world events. Life is, is just just too darn short for that. So, hopefully we'll have a lot of fun with this. 235, Jerry Bader, in for Jeff Wagner. All right, Jordan, cue the game show music. It is time for Tinseltown Cubes, which is a shameless ripoff of an iconic television show with a sort of kind of similarly sounding name. 
So here's what happens. I ask Jordan a question. Jordan, on the air, so you can hear him. And our three contestants, John in Burlington, Dave in Fort Atkinson, and Paul in Greenfield can hear him. We are starting with John. I'm sorry, we are starting with Paul. We're starting with Paul in Greenfield. So let's go to the phones first. Say, hi, Paul. How you doing? I'm doing well. Thank you. So, Paul, here's, are you familiar with the show that I'm ripping off? A little. Okay. So what happens is I'm going to ask Jordan a question. Jordan doesn't have the answers. He's going to, to the best of his ability, and he won't bluff. To the best of his ability, he'll he'll try to pick the right answer. It's multiple choice, A, B, or C. You will then agree or disagree with his answer, okay? Sounds good. All right. Jordan, here you go. I'm ready, Who Jerry. Was vi- All right. Who was vice president of the United States from November 23rd, 1963 to January 20th, 1965? A, Lyndon Johnson. B, Hubert Humphrey. C, Nobody. <laughs> I believe Johnson was the president during that time. Um, I'm actually going to say C, nobody. C, nobody. Uh, Paul, do you agree or disagree? Ooh. I'm going to disagree. Paul, you're going to disagree. Yes. The answer is nobody. Yeah, okay, here's what happened, Paul, and this was led to the 25th Amendment. There was no mechanism in place after Kennedy was assassinated to replace LBJ as vice president. So the United States had no vice president in that period. All right, that means we move on. Sorry, Paul. Paul. Well, wait a minute, though. Should you be apologizing for getting it right? (laughs) I don't know. I just feel guilty. Well, I, because you're just that kind of guy. That's you would, true. You would feel bad, you know. And I and I feel bad, but you did get it right. That's by the way, that's impressive. Well, that, thank that God because that. I took so many U.S. history courses in college. So, thank God for that. Yeah, it was nobody, and that led to the Twenty Fifth Amendment, which, of course, for whatever reason, they included the provision about an incapacitated president. Which is why you hear so much about the 25th Amendment these days. So let's move on, uh, Jordan, shall we? To uh, we going to John? Is that where we're headed next? Yeah, sure. Uh, to all right. To John in Burlington. John, how, how you doing, doing this afternoon? Not too bad. Yourself? Oh, I'm doing fine. It's Friday. You know what I'm saying, John? It's it's Friday, so it's hard. All right. Not to be doing not to be doing pretty great. All right. Question for you. All right, it's somewhat Packers related. Does that excite you? Yeah, we'll give it a shot. <laughs> All right, here we go. Vince Lombardi is reported to have said this was the only coach he addressed as coach. The only coach he called coach: A. Newt Rockney, B. George Hallis, C. Himself. Jordan, what say you? I have no idea who the first guy you named was. I, I don't know who that is. Um, I don't know why Coach Lombardi would call himself Coach, but maybe that wouldn't surprise me. So, you know what? I'm going to say C himself. C himself. Could could be. Could be. John and Burlington, do you agree or disagree? I disagree. 
Well done. George Hallis. Papa Bear Papa George Bear. Hallis. <laughs> yep. Yep, the, the only coach he named coach, by the way, the only coach to beat Lombardi five times. So there you go. All right, you get to continue playing. Good job, John. John? Thank you. Yeah, well done. Well done. Which of these presidents, Jordan, was not impeached? Which of the following presidents was not impeached? A, Bill Clinton, B, Andrew Johnson, C, Richard Nixon. Jordan? I'm going to go with C, Richard Nixon. C, Richard Nixon. John, do you agree or disagree? I agree with him 100%. You agree with him 100%. You got two in a row, my friend. Well done. John's on a roll right now. <laughs> yeah, Richard Richard Nixon, of yeah, course, was not impeached. He on his own. Yep. So. He, he smelled it coming, however. But yeah. he, he did, it, it made it through the Judiciary Committee, the Articles of Impeachment. But he, he resigned before the House could vote. Andrew Johnson and Bill Clinton, both impeached, acquitted by the U.S. Senate. So this is where we take our dramatic break and see if... John can come back and get three in a row. So you take a deep breath, John, and we'll continue this in two minutes, all right? Okie dokie. <laughs> News Radio WTMJ. 244, Jerry and for Jeff. All right, we are playing Tinseltown Cube. It's a shameless ripoff of an iconic TV game show. And when last we spoke with John, he had two in a row and needed just one more to get three in a row. So here we go. Jordan, here's the question for you, to which... John will agree or disagree as we have the intense game show music. On July 20th, we will mark the 50th anniversary of man landing on the moon. Neil Armstrong was the first man to walk on the moon. Jordan, who's the second? A. Michael Collins. B. Buzz Aldrin. C. Eugene Cernan. I think I know this one. I think it might be B. Buzz Aldrin. B. Buzz Aldrin. John, do you agree? Yes, I agree with him. Three in a row. Three in a row. Look at that. Okay, so, um, Jordan, does John need to hang on so you can get his info? Yeah, don't go anywhere, John. No, I'll hang on. Don't go anywhere, John. All right, yep, you hang on, and we will then move on to Dave in Fort Atkinson and see if Dave can tie. Possibility of Dave here tying John, which would force the uh, completely random drawing. How you doing this afternoon, Dave? Good. Good. All right. Here's uh, the first question, and we switch it up here just a little bit. It's a true or false question for Jordan. True or false? Freshman Congresswoman Alexandra Ocasio-Cortez in New York is a potential Democratic presidential candidate in 2020. True or false? <laughs> I'm going to say false. I'm good. Uh, Jordan says. You agree? Did you agree or disagree? Agree. You're going to agree. Why do you think he's right? Because I don't know. Um, I don't think she's old enough. That's exactly right. She will not be 35 years of age by the time that uh, she would run for president. So there is one in a row. Nice job, Dave. All right, Jordan. Here's the next. Which of the following was not a U.S. senator from Wisconsin? 
Which of the following was not a U.S. Senator from Wisconsin? A. Bob Kasten B. Bill Proxmire C. Tom Petri <laughs> I do not know any of these people. Oh, my goodness. Um, okay, so, so you're going to take a guess. I'm going to take a guess on this. That. I'm going to say, what was C? Tom Petri. Petri. I was thinking of the Petri dish. I thought that was like a ah. trick question. So that's my guess, actually. I'm going to go with C. All right. C. Tom Petri was not a U.S. Senator from Wisconsin. Uh, Dave, do you agree or disagree? I agree. Oh, Jordan, my friend, you nailed it. Are you serious? Yeah. Oh Bob Cassidy, Bill Proxmire, U.S. Senators, Tom Petri, 6th District Congressman, stepped down, and Glenn Grothman took his place. Ooh. Wow. Ooh, this is, this is getting exciting. Here we go. Which movie director is famous for cameo appearances in his own movies? A, Steven Spielberg, B, Alfred Hitchcock, C, Martin Scorsese. I'm going to go with B, Alfred Hitchcock. B, Alfred Hitchcock. Do you, Dave, agree or disagree? I agree. Bing, bing, bing. Three in a row. Woo! Well done. Great job, well Dave. Well done. We, hey, well done, Dave. Dave, don't go anywhere, okay? Okay. Because uh, Jordan's going to get you information. All right, in the time we have left, I have to respond to a text that I got because apparently someone didn't understand what I was saying. All right, 249 News Radio WTMJ. 252, Jerry Bader in for Jeff Wagner. Congratulations, John in Burlington. You are the winner. Thanks, Jerry. Hey, Appreciate uh, it. Yep. Hey, oh, you, you bet, John, and, and thanks for playing along. And uh, fun. <laughs> Yeah, ab- absolutely. Um, Jordan, did you tell him what he's won? John, you won a Lorenzo Cain bobblehead. Oh, cool. That's excellent. <laughs> big, big Brewers fan, too. So. Uh, and, and they're going to go all the way this year, right? Yeah, I'm open, so. <laughs> no, see, you were supposed to say yes, and then you would have got four in a row right. <laughs> <laughs> Judd, you have a great weekend. That was a fence-sitter's answer. (laughs) Yeah, it sure enough was. You have a great weekend, John, okay? Okay, thanks, guys. Yep. All right, I've got a couple leftover questions, but before I do that, I need to get to this. I I talked about banning assault rifles, and I said, look, because that's what New Zealand is doing, because this this is a heartfelt email or a text, so I want to respond to this. Jerry, hate will find a way. Okay, let me say what I said first. I said, for New Zealand to ban weapons, that's, that's all well and good. But if someone is driven by hate, they're going to find a way to kill. I also admitted there's no more efficient way than using a gun, and, uh, you know, a, a semi-automatic gun. I, I, I perfectly conceded that, which Tony apparently didn't hear. But they're still going to find a way, be it knives, vehicles, or whatever, to kill people, in this case, Muslims. I I admit that weapons, absolute that firearms kill more. So now I will uh, share this. Hate will find a way is nothing short of an alarmingly short-sighted cop-out offered up at a radio station dominated by Republican pundits. 
Ever hear the only thing required for evil to triumph is for good men and women to do nothing? As I said, Tony, I accept that weapon that firearms do it more effectively. But I think the bigger problem is we do have to deal with what is motivating people around the world. And and what is allowing people to so effortlessly kill a lot of people. Yes, a gun is a weapon that lets them do that in mass numbers. But the gun is not motivating them to do that. And I said that, Tony, I conceded that. But if someone just has a blinding hatred for a certain group of people, they will find a way to kill them. Timothy McVeigh didn't use a gun. Killed 168 people. And that was hate. Hate will find a way. What we have to deal with is what's motivating the hate. But I perfectly conceded that, yes, firearms are a very effective way to perpetrate hateful killings. Absolutely. All right. Now, in the roughly two minutes that I have left, before, uh, hey, just just so I know, Jordan, is, is John game for what I said to you? Oh, he's not there. Okay, never mind, never mind. So we'll just we'll just put Jordan on the spot then three more times. That's perfectly. Fine. <laughs> oh no, Jerry. Yeah, why not? Okay, oh, come, come on. on. You you did well. You you did I, well. Do you know what I did? Okay, names. Give me some more okay. questions. How about that? We have three left. If you include acting secretaries of state, how many secretaries of state has President Trump had? Two, three, or four? I know of two for sure. Rex Tillerson and Mike Pompeo. Acting, I, I, you know, I'm just, I'm going to say two. I'm going to go with two. Uh, if you include, well, you would be right if you did not include acting. With acting, it's four. Tom Shannon, Rex Tillerson, John Sullivan, and Mike Pompeo. Now on to pop culture. In ABC's The Good Doctor, Dr. Sean Murphy is A, a pediatrician, B, autistic, C-14. I've never seen this show. I've seen commercials. I think he's autistic. That is correct. Dr. Sean Murphy is, in fact, autistic. Great show, by the way, Jordan. If you're, if you're looking for one to pick up, that would be a really good one. Thanks for the recommendation. Yeah, you'd love it. And finally, because I'm me, I couldn't let this go without one of these questions. Which of the books of the Bible never mention God? Only one book in the Bible does not mention God by name. Is it A, Ruth, B, Esther, C, Revelation? Thank God for Sunday school class. I think there's two books, right, in the Bible. There's Song of Songs and Esther. I, I'm not familiar with Song of Songs. You've, you've created a game show controversy here. Uh-oh. I, 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 thought, I thought Esther was I meant was to say the, the book one. of songs. Okay, um... I'm going to have to check that. I'm sure, I'm sure that we will soon be bombarded. Boy, are you getting beat up for not knowing who Newt Rockney was? <laughs> <laughs> I'm sure that's way before my time, right? Uh, Newt Rockney, a uh, famous Notre Dame coach. Yeah, uh, okay. I, I do not feel way, bad that way, I don't know that. Yeah, way, way, way back in the day. All right. Are we out of time for our game show, Jordan? We are, unfortunately.